everybody, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Stephen. And I'm Daniel. And we're continuing our first 500-year series on the history of the church. We're currently situated in the second century. Um, we have the kind of the apostolic generation, those who either followed the apostles, knew the apostles, or knew people who knew the apostles. Um, we're in that era, so let's say from the year 100 to the year 160. Um, and there's one topic that I think casts a pretty big net, and it is the question of when Christians are gathering for worship, namely Sunday, the, day, the, the, the Lord's Day, and, and why that's kind of significant. So um, to kind of get into why we'd be, we'd be doing this topic, you know, Dan, what, what do you think? It, it's kind of like a good, a good vehicle, right, for a lot of the big themes of the second century in a way, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Uh, because if you recall in our, um, in our first century uh, episode that we did on a first century liturgy, we had come down on the side of saying that uh, many, many early Christians most likely celebrated their Eucharist on Saturday evenings. Um, that was probably the primary um, day for many, many Christians in the first century. Um, that might come as a, a surprise to many people, uh, just because of how um, in stone Sunday worship is for us. Uh, but but in the second century is when we start to see Sunday morning in particular emerge um, in many places throughout the Christian world, and that development leads to other discussions. There's going mm-hmm. to be um, uh, the quarter decimal controversy, a debate over the day of Easter, which involves mm-hmm. Sundays. Um, there's going to be what we call the parting of the ways, um, the idea of the separation between Judaism and Christianity. Uh, begins to happen in the second century, and the day of worship has something to do with that. So there's these large overarching themes in the second century um, that uh, have their roots in this very discussion. Well, yeah, I think it's pretty fascinating that we're already talking about, like when, when you mentioned like the roots of the quarter decimal controversy, um, I think it would come to, as a surprise to a lot of people to know that already, already, you know, in the early to mid second century, you'll have churches that start debating about when they're supposed to be celebrating Easter. Um, pretty fascinating. And you know, I think it, especially if you're, if you're coming from a more like, um, like a low church Protestant point of view, you know, you're just, you're probably gonna be surprised by that, that already you have people who knew the apostles or followed the apostles questioning, well, wait a minute, when are we supposed to be doing this Easter thing that we do? You know, so it brings up a lot of interesting points about the development of feast days, um, the development of not only the liturgy itself, but the liturgical calendar. Um, and, and, and you mentioned the parting of the ways. So the idea that, that um, Christianity and Judaism, uh, emergent rabbinic Judaism and Christianity are kind of starting to go their separate ways slowly but surely. But you also have uh, embedded here... Um, Christians almost as the Romans are seeing them. Um, that theme is, is playing in here because you have most of the descriptions of early Christian worship that we have are actually Christians writing to Roman officials. Yeah, luckily, luckily, the, luckily the Christians had to defend themselves uh, to mm-hmm. the Romans, and that's how we get a lot of descriptions of the early liturgical assemblies. Yeah, and particularly for our purposes as the Catholic brothers— um, 
of course, of interest to us is going to be the development of um, Rome's conception of herself. Um, how are the other churches viewing Rome? Um, the development of the papacy. So those kinds of themes are also brought out in this, especially as you're looking at what is the Roman tradition of worship, uh, what day of the week, this kind of stuff, versus what's going on elsewhere. Um, so it brings up a lot of questions about the government of the Church of Rome at this time, mm -hmm. her authority. Um, yeah, lots of lots of themes to dive into here. So um, we kind of assume all too often as Christians of modern times that you know, Christians have always worshipped on Sunday morning, kind of like we do, you know. Um, but, you know, not so fast. Because <laughs> we have uh, a lot of options, actually, uh, in the sources. You have kind of like um, a lot of scholars say, well, no, it's Sunday morning, you know. Some scholars saying, no, Sunday evening. Some are even saying, no, they're holding the Eucharist on, on the Sabbath day. Um, so yeah. we, we do have some options here, right? So Well, yeah, so... Well, first of the scriptures themselves, and we, we kind of covered this in, the, in our first century episodes, but, you know, Christians were celebrating the Eucharist daily, it says in the book of Acts. Okay, so yeah, that's happening on a daily basis. What we're concerned with here is the primary day of worship. Yeah. What is the primary day of worship for early Christians? And this whole discussion is made very difficult because uh, in the ancient world, there are predominantly three ways to tell time. Okay, <laughs> there's the yeah. Jewish way. There's the Greek way and there's the Roman way. You know, if you're a Roman, you look at the world um, and you count the days from midnight to midnight, like we do today. We adopted yeah. the Roman system. Right. Uh, if you're in the Greek-speaking areas of, of the Roman Empire, you're counting the days as dawn to dawn. So right when the sun comes up, that's the, that's the start of the day until the next sun comes up, okay? Um, if you're a, a Jew in the first century... In the second century, you are counting your days evening to evening. So mm -hmm. the Sabbath for them was a started on Friday evening and went into Saturday and ended Saturday evening. Um, mm -hmm. So how they perceive days, it's three different ways. So for yeah, example, and, well, and and this speaks particularly to before before you continue, it's a good point because it speaks to the kind of movement that Christianity is, you know. Like Christianity is Roman, it is it's all Greek, three, yeah. and it is Jewish. <laughs> so, and what, what I was going to say is that so, you know, when in the scriptures it says that the Christians uh, collected, um, you know, offerings on the first day of the week, or that the Christians gathered with Saint Paul on the first day of the week and broke bread, yeah, what do they mean by the first day of the week? <laughs> right. Uh, to a Jew, the first day of the week would begin Saturday evening. To mm. the Roman, it would begin at midnight, and to the Greek, it would begin at dawn on Sunday morning. So, <laughs> uh, so we don't know. There, uh, it's important for for listeners to know this that there is no explicit reference in the first and second centuries of someone writing down saying, "Oh yes, we Christians celebrate the Eucharist and worship on Sunday morning," literally. There is no Sunday. Sunday that. as rendered in this timing. Su right? Yeah, Sunday as rendered by the Romans. Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, so that source doesn't exist. So that that creates a lot of uh, ambiguity in in the sources and a lot of room. Yeah. So our argument was that well, we tend to decide with the scholarship that says that the earliest Christians, their primary day of Eucharist and worship, was Saturday evening. Uh, 
because of the practicality of it. You know, you can have arguments back and forth, and scholars do. But we liked the practicality of the Saturday evening gathering, um, because you have to think, who makes up this church in the first century and, and toward the turn of the century? It mm-hmm. is still mostly Jews, Jewish Christians. Yeah. Um, And so you think about how would a Jewish Christian approach the day of worship? Well, they would still maintain the Sabbath. Mm -hmm. Uh, They would still want to maintain the Sabbath. Um, But you also have in the early Christian sources references to the first day of the week and references to uh, what what they called the eighth day, which is a clear reference of the day after the Sabbath. Okay. Yeah. So we like the practicality of Saturday evening for this reason. When a Jew would wake up, or a Jewish Christian would wake up on Saturday morning, they would go to synagogue, and they would have their Sabbath readings, their study time, whatever whatever they were doing in the synagogue. We're not even sure what they did in synagogues on Saturday mornings, but then we know they gathered on Saturday mornings. So a Jewish Christian could wake up, still go to synagogue, still partake in the readings, still partake in the lessons. And then in the same 12-hour period, once 3 p.m. 3 p.m. came along... They now could get, regather as the church and celebrate their Eucharist, celebrate their yeah, agape and, meal. And this also does depend on on where you're stationed and kind of what your function is in in the church at the time. So you have, for instance, if you're an apostle like Paul, right? It says that he would go to the city and he would enter the synagogue as was his custom. Well, not only you know on weekdays would Paul do this, but presumably. Uh, he would enter it on the Sabbath day, which is kind of the high day when the most people are there. You can get the most bang for your buck in terms of an evangelist. So Paul is walking into the the synagogues um, while his fellow Jews are going in on the Sabbath, preaching, getting kicked out, <laughs> and then and then in the evening um, celebrating uh, the breaking of the bread with the brethren. And but but then also locale, right? So if you're in Jerusalem. It was the apostles' custom, clearly, as the Book of Acts says, to go up to the temple to pray and then back to the homes, as we mentioned in our worship episode, to break the Mm -hmm. bread. So that was their custom. Well, it makes sense then that when you move out to the diaspora, that the apostolic custom would have been synagogue in the morning, breaking the bread in the evening, and then the Christians, the earliest Christians, would have sort of carried at least the pattern in some way or another, whether that means going to the actual Jewish synagogue or whether it means, you know, gathering together in the morning for the Sabbath, you know, for exhortation reading like they do in the Sabbath, and then get, and then kind of bleeding into Sunday evening to have a Eucharist, right? Yeah, no, that's exactly right. Um, so it, it seems to us practical that Saturday, Saturday evening was the day. The other, the other reason why it seems that Saturday evening was the primary day for Eucharist and worship for the Christians is simply because it's called the Lord's Supper. You know, it's right. not called the Lord's breakfast. And I mean that breakfast. seriously. It's not. It's, I'm, I'm. I'm being serious. It's not called the Lord's breakfast. It's called the Lord's mm-hmm. supper. It's a depnon right. in Greek. It's. It's a dinner. It's a. It, it is a supper. Um, so we know it has to be happening in the evening, and yeah. even well into the second century, uh, the agape feast of the Christians can't be separated from the Eucharist. That that's not something that happens until you're into the third century. So again, a supper has to be happening, and you have to ask yourself practically. Is there any evidence of, of early Christians gathering on Sunday evenings? And there just isn't. Mm-hmm. The only, we do, but we do have evidence of Christians gathering on Saturdays. Um, and so, again, 
that seems to be the answer, that Saturday evening was the primary way, primary day for Christians to gather and worship and celebrate the the, um, the Eucharist. Not not everywhere, but I would say for the most part. Yeah, it, it, it doesn't make much sense if, when we're talking about the Lord's Supper, like you said, a Depnon meal, that that would be happening on Sunday evening, um, mainly because... Among, Jew, the, among Jew, the, Jewish Christians. Yeah, because the Judaic influence for the earliest Christians in Eastern lands, near Eastern lands, um, we have to, we ha- when we look at these sources, we have to look at them not just as kind of like 21st century, you know, readers. We, we have to try to also think kind of anthropologically when we approach historical sources, because it's one thing to just like take the content and then run with it. But it's quite another to try to think like, well, how quickly do traditions typically change in these ancient cultures, right? Like, change happens so fast for us in the modern world. It's like, boom, 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 boom. Like, within 10 years, like, we can change something, like, completely how we do things. Like, how we how we celebrate Christmas or, you know, or the latest Hallmark holiday that, that shows up, right? In the ancient world, it is not so. It doesn't work that way. Um, it takes a long time for customs to change, die out, new ones to, to, to come in. And then even when new ones come in, they identify it. They're like, well, this is new, you know? Um, so when you have that, that strong apostolic and Judaic influence in the early church, you know, it, it, it only makes sense that, like, why would they be celebrating any Eucharists on Sunday evening when that would have been actually, like, the— the second day of the week for, for yeah. it'd, it'd be a meaning been, it'd be a meaningless it would have been to, Monday to the Jews <laughs> right. yeah, yeah it would have been Monday to the Jews yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the Monday the Sunday scaries so, <laughs> right 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 yeah exactly so so Monday would have would have no significance um, if you are a Jew. And it would have no significance if you're a Christian. <laughs> so it's like, why would they be gathering? Yeah, and, and, and so even random, you know? even in the, the earliest Christians, when we'll get into why they were they were choosing the first day of the week, but um, mm-hmm. you know, part of them choosing the first day of the week had to do and was related to Jesus's resurrection, of course. Um, yeah. And when you think about resurrection, you think about the rising sun. Remember, remember Christians face east to pray towards the rising sun. Okay, everything's about mm-hmm. the rising sun. Everything's about the east. Uh, everything's about resurrection. So to celebrate your primary worship on the evening of the day of the sun, when the sun's actually going down and you're no longer facing the sun when you're in your worship because it's now behind you, um, if they're explaining their worship theologically, then you would think that they wouldn't choose Sunday evening to be their primary day uh, for Eucharist and, and community gathering. Right. Um, well, and, and also it makes some practical sense that... Um, again, Saturday evening, because it would be seen for Jewish Christians, it would be seen as kind of the consummation of the Sabbath. You know, and it's so like here's, the, Sabbath, the Sabbath finally comes to yeah. its pinnacle, and now it's time for the agape or the Eucharist. So, Yeah, and, 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 and to that point, when you're thinking about um, that, that Saturday evening, to the to the Jewish Christians, that Saturday evening, of course, is Sunday. It is the first day of the week. Now, most people would probably assume that Christians did, in fact, choose Sunday to worship uh, because of the resurrection. I mean, that's what we, we even call Sunday Resurrection Day. Uh, many Protestants do. Um, it's, it's Resurrection Day, and every day is the Easter, yeah. every Sunday is the Easter Day kind of thing. Um, right. But actually, in the earliest sources, 
So I'm speaking of um, Ignatius of Antioch. I'm speaking of the letter to uh, the letter of Barnabas. Um, even Justin Martyr himself. They named the resurrection of Jesus as a secondary reason for why they worship on Sunday. The primary reason for choosing Sunday worship or first day of the week worship, which could be Saturday evening, is something they they refer to the day as the eighth day, okay? Mm -hmm. The day after the day of rest, which refers to the eschatological day, right? The, The coming... The, the coming of the Lord kind of day, the parousia, the second coming. Um, the eighth day in Jewish thought was that that um, future day of the Lord. And so when you think about the Sabbath and then the first day of the week, holding your Eucharist on that Saturday evening was a great way to enter into the eschatological day, the eighth yeah, day. Yeah, and, and, and it's a, that's a great point because you have... Um... Justin Martyr in his dialogue with Trifo, you have Melito of Sardis, and you also have Origin of Alexandria eventually um, describing that there was this early tradition um, that Jesus's return would actually happen on a Sunday, mm-hmm. um, that that was also the day of eschatological expectation right. of Christ. So again, what, so again, would you really hold your primary Eucharist on Sunday night when Sunday the day has already almost passed? <laughs> no, you, you'd... Yeah. you'd you would think that they would hold it on Saturday evening in anticipation yeah. of the great day. Um, so this is how this is how the letter of Barnabas um, uh, puts it. He says, uh, "Quote: Finally, he says to them, quoting scripture, I cannot stand your new moons and your Sabbaths.' End quote. You see what he means. It's not the present Sabbaths that are acceptable to me, but the one that I have made. On that Sabbath, after I've set everything at rest." I will create the beginning of an eighth day, which is the beginning of another world. This is why we spend the eighth day in celebration, the day also on which Jesus arose from the dead and after appearing again, ascended into heaven. So his mm-hmm. first reason for choosing mm-hmm. it is this kind of eschatological mm-hmm. reason. And then he mm-hmm. says, oh, it's also the day that Jesus rose from the dead. Yeah, and that's also, um, it's a familiar psalm, but uh, in Psalm 118, verse 24, we hear, you know, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. You know, it's kind of like mm-hmm. a, a preeminent uh, verse in liturgically in the church. Well, you actually have like Clement of Alexandria and um, actually Cyprian of Carthage. Um, they, they, they actually <laughs> mention that psalm as referring specifically to the Lord's day. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so there was already this idea that like, this literally is the day that the Lord has made as part of this new covenant. Um, right. So there, there's, there's a lot going on here. And that's why they're calling it the Lord's day. That's why the mm-hmm. sources for us can be ambiguous. Cause they're not saying, they're not saying Saturday evening. They're not saying Sunday. Right. They're saying the Lord's day. That was the nomenclature of the time. Uh, and to them, what, what's it, what's it referring to? It is referring to the day of the Lord, uh, in the old Testament. Um, mm-hmm. This is the the, the, the day that, that the Lord has has made. Right. Yeah, so, I mean, the reason then for everybody to know, like, why this is a little more difficult than you would initially think, you know, it's, like you said, because of the time rendering difference, but also just because of the sources. Um, mm-hmm. We don't know 
when the sources are speaking of like, oh, and then in the evening they did, you know, or in the morning, you're like, well, on what day, you know, <laughs> what day is yeah. it? And, 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 and even if you say the day, how do I know like what time you're rendering it? And, but the sources are also very sparse. They're, they're vague. And they're also, every time that you have a source, you always, as a good historian, have to ask yourself, well, does this speak to the whole or does this speak to the part? Does this speak only to the region? So if you have a source that's stemming from Rome in the mid second century, you you can't necessarily apply that to the whole you know eastern block of of the Roman Empire. Um, so you always have to kind of be careful as well and and be be measured in how far you let a source lead you you know to to conclusions. Yeah. Well, here's a here's a good example. So I'll go back to Pliny's letter. So recall that Pliny is the governor, the Roman governor of Bithynia. He's writing about the Christians in the early second century. He Which says if everybody remembers too, Bithynia is is the region where uh, Peter did a lot of his ministry. But yeah, go ahead. So Pliny writes to the emperor. Um, they asserted, they, the Christians, asserted, however, that the sum and substance of their fault or error had been that they were accustomed to meet on a fixed day before dawn and sing responsively a hymn to Christ as to a God and to bind themselves by oath, not to some crime, but not to commit fraud, theft, or adultery, not to falsify their trust, nor to refuse to return a trust when called upon to do so. Okay, so from that you would think, okay, they're meeting in the morning, so that's probably Sunday morning, right? Mm -hmm. Pliny goes on. When this was over, it was their custom to depart and to assemble again to partake of food, but ordinary Mm. and innocent food. Even this they affirmed they had ceased to do after my edict, by which in accordance with your instructions... I had forbidden political associations. So what, what Pliny is mm. describing there, he doesn't, again, unfortunately, he does not tell us what day. He just says on a fixed day um, of the week, <laughs> the Christians are gathering in, a mor- in the morning for some kind of prayer service, yeah. um, probably some readings, and then they break and they come back together for food, which is reference, obviously, to their, to their Eucharist. We don't know of... Jewish services on Sunday mornings, but we do know of Jewish services on Saturday mornings. Yeah. Okay. And again, there's a lot of Jewish Christians still within the church. Mm-hmm. So it's more likely that Pliny is referencing a Saturday, um, a typical Saturday for the Christian community, yeah. at least yeah. at least in Bithynia, right? A morning right. gathering of prayer and, and worshiping Christ, and then an evening gathering of the supper, the Lord's Supper. Well, apart from just Bithynia, but we can also apply that to the region around Smyrna, because in the um, the document, the Life of Polycarp, um, we have a description of sort of what what the Smyrnians were doing at, at this time. Um, so, uh, Pionius, who's who's the writer of um, the Life of Polycarp, which I believe is he's early third century. Is that right? Third century father, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Early third, I think, yeah. So he's, so he's writing this. He's the Bishop of Smyrna. So, so he, he's writing this, um, describing you know the life of Polycarp based on the traditions that he's received in his own um, see. And remember that Polycarp was Bishop of Smyrna. So he's, he's, he's sort of writing down, in a way, the history of their, their little church. Um, but he, he mentions, and he says, On the Sabbath... And, and pay attention to the words here. So, on the Sabbath, 
When prayer had been made long time on bended knee, he, Polycarp, as was his custom, got up to read, and every eye was fixed upon him, and the lesson was the epistles of Paul, and so on and so forth. So you can see that this is like teaching, readings, exhortations, okay? Um, after they they um, describe Polycarp's ordination, um, it then goes on to say, um, after this, the others also, having made the proper exhortations and appeals on the Sabbath, and then on the Lord's Day, the offerings and the Eucharists, rejoicing and partaking of food, and then returning each to their own home, greatly you know, uh, rejoicing at having communicated with Polycarp. See, and see then what, it says... Well, and then it says, and then on the following Sabbath, he said, hear my exhortation. <laughs> so you can see that every single time in this source, it's tough. It, this is a tough source. But every time that this, the Sabbath is mentioned, the Jewish Sabbath, you hear, it's a common theme, prayer, exhortation, reading. And then the minute that the Lord's Day comes up, all of a sudden you see sacrifice, offering, Eucharist, meal, everyone goes home rejoicing. So again, what that shows us is a respect for the Sabbath among um, many Christian communities, first off, mm -hmm. and that the Sabbath was in fact a day when Christians did gather for at least readings, exhortations, prayers, ordinations, all those types of things. What's ambiguous in this text, again, is what he means by the Lord's Day. Yeah. Does he mean that they met Saturday evening or they waited until Sunday morning to then have the Eucharist? Yeah. Um, it that That leaves it ambiguous. But again, the point here is that the Sabbath was a respected day, especially among a lot of the Christians of the East. And what you are seeing in Paeonius' source from the third century is, is really the leftover tradition from a time when the earliest church gathered on Saturday mornings. Even if for Paeonius, the Lord's Day now means Sunday morning, it suggests that it wasn't always so. For as long as the supper remained the primary form of Eucharist, that's for how long Saturday evening remained the primary time for Eucharist. However, as you move from the 1st to the 2nd century, what happens when many, many more Gentiles are becoming Christian? You have an influx mm -hmm. of Gentiles into this church. Um, what happens when uh, Christians begin to emphasize their distinctiveness over and against the Judaism of, uh, Judaism of their day? Right, yeah. so you have this. So what we're talking about is you have this fine line between the Sabbath ending and the beginning of the first day of the week. But when more and more Gentiles come into the church, are they automatically going to be attracted to the Sabbath? Are they going to see their Eucharist as the culmination of the Sabbath, or are they more likely to see it as the beginning of something else, something different, something distinct? Mm -hmm. And the answer seems to be the latter, that as more and more Gentiles come into the church in the early second century, they are not viewing the Sabbath as the previous generations were viewing the Sabbath. They're a little more um, suspect of the Sabbath, and they don't see their Eucharistic meal as having any great connection to the Sabbath at all. And so you start to see that in um, beginning in the letters of Ignatius. Um, Ignatius writes a letter to the church in Magnesia, um, and he says this, If then those who had lived according to ancient practices came to the newness of hope, no longer keeping the Sabbath, but living in accordance with the Lord's day, on which our life also arose through him and his death, which some deny, 
the mystery mm-hmm. through which we came to believe, and because of which we patiently endure, in order that we may be found to be disciples of Jesus Christ, our only teacher. How can we possibly live without him, whom even the prophets, who were his disciples in the spirit, were expecting as their teacher? So Ignatius is saying <laughs> that we don't celebrate the Sabbath. He's, yeah. he, and so even if Ignatius' communities were celebrating Eucharist on Saturday evening, he's still trying to separate that event from its association with the Sabbath. Yeah. yeah. Either and, that... Well, and, and we see the same I, thing in a... Con- yeah, go ahead. Either that, or he's telling Jewish Christians and some Gentile Christians who might even still be celebrating the Eucharist on Friday evening, on the Sabbath meal evening, telling them, no, you can't celebrate then. you got to come celebrate with us over here. Um, because this is, of course, a new day, the eighth, the eighth day. Right. And in a contemporary source, the Epistle of Barnabas, which we've mentioned before, um, you know, to the eighth day point, um, so that people know, you know, Jews had to circumcise their child on the eighth day, right? So that's where this eighth day idea is kind of coming from, is that the new circumcision... Um, so there's like kind of like a new eighth day. It's like a, a, a new entry into a new covenant. Um, so the Epistle of Barnabas, um, fifteen eight, it actually mentions uh, the Lord's Day as an entrance into that eighth day, the new mm-hmm. circumcision. Um, and then, of course, when you come to Justin's Apology and Justin's Dialogue with Trifo in the mid-2nd century, that's when he is also mentioning... Uh, this whole eschatological expectation of like the eighth day entering into this new, um, this new covenant. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. So, um, so where does that leave us? I mean, so just to step back from kind of the details, um, I think we've we've, I think we've we've made our point that <laughs> this is why it's kind of difficult, you know, to to determine. Um, or at least a broad brush, what is the practice of the early Christians? So it's kind of like, you know, it's pretty difficult. Um, but what can we say that we know, you know, for sure about the development of like, okay, now we're moving into a time where we're, to, we're starting to really talk about like Sunday morning, like as we would know Sunday morning. Like, yeah, well, when is again, that? Well, again, so if, if more and more Gentiles are coming in, um, you you do have them um, disassociate themselves from the Sabbath um, in thought first, um, but then mm-hmm. eventually, obviously, in practice. Um, you already have the idea that Sunday, that the Lord's Day is the day, okay, even if it is Saturday evening. But Gentiles coming in render things in the Roman time frame, okay? So it's very possible that many, many Gentiles coming into the church are kind of reading back on the church's history mm-hmm. and seeing seeing even in the scriptures where it says the first day of the week, they now are thinking in terms of Romans, Roman rendering yeah. of, of the week, right? So Sunday is kind of the day. So there's this maybe a practical push there. Um, you can think also of maybe there is something to this ban that, that Governor Pliny talks about. He banned Christians from gathering in the evenings, okay, because... There's clandestine things going on, um, and you can't have groups gathering in the evenings in the dark. We don't know what's happening. So we don't have um, a lot of other pieces of evidence that, um, that directly tell us that, but maybe we can assume that, that if one governor 
in, a, in part of the Roman Empire is banning um, evening gatherings of Christians. Maybe that's happening elsewhere throughout the empire, which would leave the Christians with no choice uh, but to celebrate in the morning. And what day would they pick? Of course, they would pick Sunday morning because they were already considering it the day of the Lord. Mm-hmm. Um, we have already in the middle of the second century um, uh, a source uh, called the Gospel of Peter. It's an apocryphal gospel. And in there, it's clear that the writer of that gospel uh, views the Lord's Day as Sunday, and he specifically states it as Sunday. Mm-hmm. Um, so the Lord's Day now is being defined specifically as the Day of the Sun. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so, so that's there. Um, perhaps Sunday mornings took on a um, a more Eucharistic character, also because, and I don't think I don't, maybe we haven't mentioned this. Um, it was the practice of Christians to take the leftovers from their suppers to other members of the community who weren't able to attend the supper. Well, mm. if you think about it, when would that be? It wouldn't be in the evenings. It would be the next morning where they would take some of these leftovers to um, to the rest of the people who couldn't be there. And so already in the minds of Christians, you have a Eucharistic almost character or context for Sunday morning. Um, because it was it was probably the time when they were distributing um, Eucharist to to folks, or people were coming to where the presbyters were and receiving the Eucharist. Now Tertullian um, of Carthage speaks of that. He speaks of um, he doesn't tell us again what day, but he says we do meet together um, at daybreak to receive the Eucharist from only the hands of the presbyters, from only the hands of the presidents among us. But again, is that a Eucharistic service, or is it just a redistribution of the already blessed um, sacrament? We don't know. Uh, but he is yeah. beginning to mention those kind of morning episodes. And so mm-hmm. in the minds of Christians, okay, maybe they're already associating Sunday morning with Eucharist. Right. Yeah. Now, we do know, though, that when we, when we come to Rome um, by mid-2nd century... I mean, at least from my reading of the sources, it seems seems pretty clear that that we are kind of talking about something with Sunday morning, right? Yes. Yeah, so um, many will say that Justin Saint Justin Martyr, um, his in his Apology, is the first reference, first clear reference to uh, a Sunday morning Eucharist, uh, because mm-hmm. he does say that the Christians gather. I'll just I'll just read it. <laughs> yeah, the Christians yeah. gather on the day of the sun. So, this is uh, Justin Martyr. Okay, so he says, and on the day called Sunday, the day of the sun, all who live in cities or in the country gather together to one place, and the memoirs of the apostles or the writings of the prophets are read, as long as time permits. Then when the reader has ceased, the president verbally instructs and exhorts to the invitation of these good things. Then we all rise together and pray, and as we before said, when our prayer is ended, bread and wine and water are brought, and the president in like manner offers prayers and thanksgivings uh, according to his ability, and the people assent, saying, Amen. Mm-hmm. And there is a distribution to each and a participation of that over which have been thanks have been given, and to those who are absent, a portion is sent by the deacons. That's great. So, so, so this is this is exactly what we were talking about. The, why this this plays into the whole theme of Christians as the Romans are seeing them too, because 
it seems like in that source, you kind of have a smashing together of, of all these things into one event that in other sources seems to be very separated, you know, where you have like kind of like, like we were saying, like a Saturday, Sabbath, like morning, everybody's getting together. There's exhortations, there's teachings as long as time permits, there's prayers, and then they break and then they come back together for a Eucharist. Well, well, one thing is that in, in the Roman Empire, and especially we're talking about the city of Rome, right? Remember, this is where the emperor is <laughs> for the most part. Like, this is where he's seated. Um, this is where Christians have been publicly burned alive by Nero. This is where Christians have been like Ignatius. A hundred like, years earlier. Right. You know, the, the emperors <laughs> exactly, knew exactly. who the Christians were in the city of Rome. You know, right. Justin's writing in the 150s, and Nero, you know, persecuted the Christians in the 60s um, of the first century. So you got about 100 years there where the Roman people know who the Christians are. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and so you have, you have Christians who are being publicly, very publicly, in the arenas like Ignatius of Antioch, thrown to the beasts, murdered. Um, so, and the other thing is that, like you, like you had mentioned, Rome, Rome is not okay with secret meetings in the night, especially from um, cults that talk about a different king, okay, <laughs> okay mm-hmm. or a different lord. Um, that's not going to fly. I mean, even the cult of Mithra was persecuted by Rome because they had cluster- clandestine meetings. Uh, it was viewed with suspicion. And remember what we talked about a few, I don't know if it was last episode or a few episodes ago, but talking about the whole idea of legal religion and illegal religion or illicit religion in the Roman Empire. Um, you know, the Christians are still not considered a legal religion they're they're not recognized so to also on top of that to have like secret meetings in the capital of the empire that's not going to fly right that's not going to fly so the christians have to adapt in rome and so i find this to be the most likely explanation that you do actually have this this uh, a time at some point in rome where that saturday evening eucharist is kind of combined to what used to potentially what used to be a Saturday morning exhortation reading all moved to the Lord's day, the day of the sun, Sunday, Sunday morning. Yeah. And that, right? and that, and that could have happened in the first century. It could have been from Peter himself yeah. or it could have yeah. been in the second century, you know, um, For that's sure. fine. The, and the other thing that the to piggyback on that, um, what's interesting is that Justin Martyr is describing his experience in a, probably a Syrian community in Rome and how they celebrate. And yes. he's mentioning a, a front loaded, liturgy like you said there's mm-hmm. prayers and readings and everything going on and then there's the eucharist that's not how it was at the christian suppers at the agape feasts it was the other way around you had the meal and the and the eucharist was somewhere in there okay the the bread and wine was somewhere in there and then after you had the symposium time you right. had the prayers and the singing and the exhortations so actually it's it's flip-flopped now Yes. And there's more more time given to probably in the morning some readings and exhortation, and then time for a portion, a smaller portion of a meal, bread and wine, water is brought um, for the, this liturgy in in the Roman territory. Yeah, so we can assume that many churches, not all, but many churches of the eastern region of the empire, um, maybe specifically in Asia, because of the sources that we have. 
are still practicing like what was, you know, typical to them that, you know, they're having a Saturday night, um, Eucharist, um, possibly a Saturday morning, still exhortation, whatever they may have, they may have at this point added on a Sunday morning, something or other prayers, Mm -hmm. exhortations, preaching. Um, but for the most part, when we're talking about when, what is the proper time to celebrate the Eucharist, they may have still been accustomed to doing this kind of Saturday night thing. Um, but when you're talking about Rome, we're we're really we or, really or are talking Rome about or elsewhere, Rome or elsewhere. There's other yeah, things. Rome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You may have more uh, other places as well where it's where it's a custom. But we know at least just by the source material that it is Rome by mid second century that they're doing this on Sunday morning. Now this bleeds over from merely a weekly difference to an annual difference. So that that's what I want like our listeners to start to cue into is that we're getting closer and closer to when we, when we come to the early second century, we're going to have something called the quarto deciman controversy. The whole idea that you have a whole block of Asiatic churches that are celebrating the, the, uh, the feast of Easter. Pasca. Right. The, the Pasca feast, they're celebrating it on, the 14th of Nisan when Jews are celebrating the Passover. And they, they're saying that this is the tradition we receive from the apostle John. And then through Polycarp and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. Well, then you have, you're going to have, and we're going to do an episode on this, but you're going to have Victor of Rome who is saying, well, not so fast. We received a tradition from Peter and that is to do it all. That is to do it on the nearest Sunday to the 14th of Nisan because the Eucharist can only happen on Sunday, you know? So, <laughs> That's very interesting by the time you get to the early uh, third century. But for our purposes here, you actually do have this very fascinating episode in the mid-second century. So we're talking about the reign of the uh, Bishop of Rome, Anicetus, who reigns from 155 to around 166. And it's during this time that a big controversy breaks out between a a lot of Eastern churches specifically Asiatic churches that were celebrating Easter on the 14th of Nisan in accordance with the Jewish Passover, which they said they received from John. But it's very clear that Anicetus is, is, is force trying to kind of press upon them. No, 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 no. We're supposed to be worshiping on Sunday. Like this is like, we're supposed to be celebrating the Eucharist on Sunday. That's the Lord's day. So, the background to that, as we've already explained, may have been that, you know, it wasn't okay for these Christians to be celebrating clandestine meetings on Saturday evening. <laughs> and so it got transferred. And then, um, and, and like you said, that may have happened even during Peter, as early as Peter's time. So it may have been actually for the Roman church that this is apostolic practice to us. So what are you guys doing? You know, so it brings up this whole interesting controversy in the church about the dating of Easter. Um, and of course, as as we know from the the famous source uh, in Eusebius, he records the famous incident through an Arianias where Polycarp. Remember, Polycarp is the 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 follower of John the Apostle directly. Okay, Polycarp takes it upon himself to travel to Rome, not only to debate some Gnostic teachers that were there, like Marcion and so forth, but. He goes there and he actually steps in and celebrates the Eucharist in Rome with Anicetus. Like Anicetus actually allows him to come in and just celebrate the Eucharist in Rome. That is 
we, we have to stop there, you know, like, like, like there's a lot going on there, um, for liturgy, right. That the fact that, that the liturgy could be so at least similar enough across the empire for somebody to just step right in mm-hmm. and know what, know what to do, you know? Um, so Polycarp steps right in, in Rome and celebrates the Eucharist. But it's great that he does this because Polycarp's tradition is to celebrate on Saturday night. But when he's in Rome, he adopts the Roman practice and he celebrates it on the day of the sun, right? On, on the morning of the sun, according to Anicetus's tradition. Right. And in doing this, it actually says in the sources that it actually solidified the peace of the churches because there, this, this controversy was already starting to bubble up and get really hot. And this, mm-hmm. this solitary act by Polycarp with Anicetus kind of solves the crisis that was potentially going to emerge for the churches. Yeah. I, I bring this up only, not only because it's just like an awesome story, but also because of what it says to us about liturgy, the, the kind of the unity of the liturgy across the empire in an ancient empire where you don't have texting, you don't have emails, you don't have media, <laughs> you don't have any, like this is literally just prayers, traditions, ways of doing things that are passed down. And somehow Polycarp from Smyrna is able to step right in. That's very interesting, and that's going to be very important as we talk about second century liturgy in a future episode. So keep that in mind. But the other thing is, you're going to see this theme where bishops of Rome, when there's a controversy, you never see the bishops of Rome get up and travel to another see. I don't know why this is, and 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 I don't know I don't know what you think about this, Dan, but like it's just fascinating to me that they never go anywhere. They'll send representatives, you know, they'll write letters, but it's always like invariably if if there is a controversy that's going to be settled with something with Rome, it's bishops kind of coming to Rome, you know, mm-hmm. to do it. Mm-hmm. And I just I don't know how much we can bake into that um, if I'm going to be like you know fair and responsible, but at the same time. I think you can bake quite a bit into that, right? The Roman popes are too cool. (laughs) (laughs) But there's something about, yeah, just that like the Roman bishop is not going to leave Rome, you know? Um, Yeah. And and even at this early period, you know, and and, 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 and it is astounding. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say it is a cool thought. Yeah. And it is astounding that we're already talking about, hey, how are we supposed to properly celebrate Easter? And these people know the apostles. You know, like Polycarp know, knew the apostle John. Um, so already we're talking about feasts, calendars. It, it gives us a hint into what the Christians really do think about their gatherings and what they're doing. Because Jews had feasts, you know. Um, Jews had the calendar. Mm-hmm. Um of course, surrounded by the, or at least growing up out of the cult of the temple. So it shows us again that Christians see their community, their gatherings as something very formal, right? I don't know how else to put it, but ritualistic, um, sacramental, liturgical, you know, whatever you want to say. But they see what they're, and, and constantly, even in, in that, in that uh, document of the life of Polycarp, we even see again this whole idea of like, oh yeah, and then the deacons, the Levites, you know, they see themselves as a cult, you know, like truly in, in, in the best sense of that word and the ancient sense of that word, like they see themselves as a cultus um, with a hierarchy, with rituals, with calendars, with feast days. Um, 
I don't know. I mean, that that's kind of the stuff that we're starting to glean from a lot of this, yeah. right? Yeah, that's that. Those are great takeaways. Um, I would say the other big takeaway from this um, discussion on when do we celebrate the primary Eucharist is uh, the whole Jewish element. This the the growing separation between Christianity yeah. and 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 Judaism itself. Um, Christianity is is beginning to build uh, an identity here over and against the Judaism of their day. Now, what's now what's important about that is that the Judaism of their day is also in development. Uh, the Judaism mm-hmm. of the second century is not the Judaism, Judaism of the first century. And yes. as much as we could say that Christianity is evolving in the second century, you could say the same exact thing about Judaism evolving in the second century. You know, you think about all the cataclysmic events that happened to the Jews, right? The war against, um, the rebellion against Rome, uh, Rome crushes them, um, completely devastates Jerusalem, kicks out all the Jews. Only Romans uh, can occupy that city. The Jews are, for, are kicked out and sent as slaves um, you know, back to Rome. Cataclysmic yeah. events are happening within the Jewish community. And what ends up happening is this emergence of the rabbinic, rabbinic Judaism. And so mm. as, as uh, Christians are beginning to build an identity, they're building that identity over and against the Judaism that they're seeing the rabbinic yeah. Judaism that they're seeing in the second century. And so what I think is an important takeaway in, in this little Saturday evening, Sunday morning kind of um, thing, sa- you know, is it Sabbath? Is it is it first day of the week? That border starts to get a little thicker as Christians more and more start to emphasize their own day, whether that means Saturday evening or Sunday morning. That doesn't really matter because it's the first day of the week, no matter what, according to the Jewish reckoning. Um, but that border becomes um, thicker and thicker uh, as you move into the second century. And this, this move um, that we're talking about kind of highlights the beginning of the parting of the ways between Judaism and, um, and Christianity. Yeah. And so, and, and and eventually so a lot of times, gonna... go ahead. And so a lot of times folks will want to see the separation of, of Christianity from Judaism. They'll, they'll, we, we, we talk about this often. They want to see it as kind of a lowercase r event. You have the stem, and then the Christians kind of go off to, 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 to define themselves, and, and kind of Judaism continues on through the centuries. Right. Um, that's not the case. Uh, what you really have is a very thick stem and a Y happening. So the thick stem is first century Judaism, which includes all types of Judaisms, which we've talked about, Christianity mm-hmm. being one of those. And, you know, you think about... Christians didn't call themselves Christians in the first century. They called themselves the way. They were the right. way within Judaism. So Judaism right. had a larger umbrella, in other words, in the first century. Mm-hmm. But events like this, things like this, where Christians begin to emphasize the eighth day over and against the Sabbath, yeah. you start to see the, the, the separating out and this why event beginning between Judaism and Christianity. Two evolving religions from one larger umbrella. Well, and also the annual celebration of Easter in Rome on a Sunday, rather than as in some of these Eastern churches on the 14th of Nisan in accordance with the Jewish Passover. So, you know, in in some Eastern churches, you're going to have Jews and and Christians celebrating a holy day on the same day, right? Um, So there's like that common identity still in like the calendar, but in other places like Rome, 
it is otherwise, you know, they're starting mm-hmm. to see like, well, wait a second, like they don't even celebrate the Passover, you know? So, so there's, there's definitely, there's definitely a drifting that is already starting to take place between the two. Um, but you also have the seeds, very early seeds, like the mustard seeds of eventual, um, controversies between East and West here, you know? I mean, even to this day, uh, there's controversies over how to date Easter, <laughs> you know, but, um, but you, you do have here already kind of like, well, Rome has a practice, you know, some of us out here have another one, like what's going on. And, and, and you know, Rome is willing to, to kind of press itself a little bit. And the Eastern mm-hmm. church is like, well, wait a second, Rome, like, wait, 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 it's okay. You know? So you, you have this kind of trajectory that is being set. Um, slowly but surely, and I'm sure that the Christians of the time had no idea, of course, but, but in hindsight, we can look back and say, ah, you know, here's a moment, you know, here, here's a moment maybe to think about, um, when we talk about this eventual, you know, all the way into the middle ages of the rift between East and West, um, the seeds of that are all already kind of being planted. And the idea, the very idea that you can have two, two apostolic practices passed on to churches and then they have to sort of figure out, well, which one's going to win out, mm-hmm. you know? Um, I think that's kind of inconceivable in a way to um, maybe the simple reader of early church history that, like, that the apostles would have may have delivered two different traditions to two different but, churches, you know? But again, that's that's why it, it makes sense to say that it was external circumstances that yeah. that created the tradition, right? At least right. maybe for Rome. That, that the Christians of Rome were forced into the tradition of Sunday mornings, and then that became the tradition uh, from the apostles. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, just like a just so so just to bring it home, I mean, um, I know that there's a there's a lot of controversy in Roman Catholicism. Um, I know that like a lot of the um, quote unquote trads, uh, you know, will say that like you know the the, the Saturday evening mass, you know. <laughs> um, They'll say, no, you, you, you got to have a Sunday morning, you know. Um, the Eastern churches, like the Eastern Orthodox, actually, um, will have, like, a, a heavy rhetoric against Rome for having mm-hmm. this kind of Saturday vigil mass that counts towards your obligation for the Sunday mass. But when you look at the history here, right, I mean, it's it's almost like, I mean, the Saturday vigil mass is kind of cool. <laughs> yeah. yeah, the the well, it takes on, well, it can take on a new significance uh, for right. us Roman Christians, knowing that actually Saturday evening masses may have been the very first uh, primary day for the earliest Christians. Um, but there mm-hmm. there's evidence of Saturday evening Eucharist as the primary day of worship, uh, stretching all the way into the fourth century uh, in Asia Minor in Asia Minor, in Syria, uh, but also on the outskirts of Egypt. The, the monks of Egypt uh, were celebrating, uh, we're told, were celebrating their Eucharists on Saturday evenings, uh, which, which again, wasn't a recent um, aberration. It was, it was probably um, passed on from the earliest of times. Yeah, yeah. So good. So I think that's pretty good. So so we'll um, we'll continue our first 500 year series. Um, I think this is good to set the tone for a lot of the themes that we're going to pull out in the next few episodes to get us through the uh, the second century. But um, in the meantime, um, I hope you enjoyed this episode and and you can take away some uh, some great points from here, um, some fascinating points. But but the <laughs> the the end of the matter is it's uh, it's it's a very complicated. Um, 
topic because of the the scarcity of the sources and how sparse they are. But ultimately what we're saying is that we are moving into a stage where Christians are uh, going to be celebrating their primary, their primary feast each week on Sunday.